Well, hello again, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, a partner-only edition, this one. And I just want to say before we get going, a special thank you to the many of you who've renewed your partnership, your subscription in the last few weeks. It's a real encouragement to me, and it also pays the bills. So thank you so much for, for that support. And in this week's edition, we're going to talk about the lordless power of sport. Well, while keeping an eye on the women's K1 slalom, Jess is making a real statement here, the commentators say, and occasionally flicking across to see if those tall, lumpy, determined Ollie Roos can hold off the nippy Spaniards in the group of dreams, I happened to come across a very good article by Stephen Liggins about not getting too carried away with the Olympics. The Olympic Games, good but not God, was the name of the article. And that pretty much sums up the message that Steve very ably and capably got across in that piece. That sport is a good gift. We should enjoy it. Glorify God in it, but don't treat it as a God in itself. Now, this is all very helpful and good stuff, and very much of a piece with the other helpful and good stuff that Steve wrote in his recent book on the subject, called The Good Sporting Life, Loving and Playing Sport as a Follower of Jesus. That's available from everyone's favourite publisher, Matthias Media. However, not wanting to disagree with Steve, I would like to kind of push his idea a little further and fly a little theological kite with you. I wonder if we should think of sport as a god, or at least as a lordly power that exerts control and authority in our world. I've been stewing on this and related ideas over the past little while. I've been wondering, for example, what does it mean for mammon to be called a lord in Matthew 6 or Luke 16, a lord that people serve? Money, as we know, is a good gift from God. Money is not evil. Money is to be received with thanksgiving. It's a creaturely gift that humanity has developed and used in the world and through which all manner of good things can be done. And yet, under the name mammon in the Gospels, money is clearly no longer just a gift that we can choose to use or misuse. It has become something more. It is a kurios, a lord, a master, a centre of power. This good gift of money, which is ours to utilise, which stems in part from our own powers and abilities, it comes to have an existence of its own outside of us. It kind of gets away from us. And having escaped our control, it ends up exerting some kind of power and control over us. Money, in the form of mammon, becomes a power an authority, a lord, it snaps its fingers and people jump. In other words, I think it's not just that we could mistakenly treat money as a god or as an idol. I think it's worse than that, Matthew 6 is saying. Mammon really is a lord, a shadowy, non-material, inhuman power that we can't control and that in fact controls us. Those who come under its power fall into a trap or a snare, says Paul in 1 Timothy 6. 
And so I'm wondering if mammon is one of those impersonal powers or authorities or lordships that are referred to quite often in the epistles. Uh, the powers of Romans 8.38 or Ephesians 1, the authorities, the world powers, the cosmocrateras in Ephesians 6.12 that exercise dominion in this present evil age. Could mammon be one of these powers or lordships? Like the devil himself, is mammon a created thing that has cut loose from its created place, that has gathered power to itself in a rebellious way, and that enslaves people in rebellion against God's purposes? I think it might be. In fact, rebellion, it seems to me, is at the root cause of all of this. By cutting ourselves loose from God, we also lose control of the good gifts and powers and capacities that we have and were given and that were meant to belong to us, that we were meant to subdue and have dominion over. They get away from us, they master us, and under God's judgment, we're handed into their power. In a fairly brilliant and provocative discussion of all this, Karl Barth labels these inhuman forces or authorities as lordless powers, and he suggests that mammon is by no means the only one. He suggests that we still live in a demon-possessed world because our world is still, he writes, possessed by the existence of similar, or at times obviously the same, lordless forces which the people of the New Testament knew and which have plainly not been broken or even affected, but in many ways intensified and strengthened by the fact that our view of the world has become a rational and scientific one. Into this clear picture of the world which is ours, they thrust themselves, palpable for all their impalpability in every morning newspaper, in every corner of the globe. The great impersonal absolutes, in their astonishing willfulness and autonomy, in their dynamic, which with such alien superiority dominates not only the masses, but also human personalities, and not just the small ones, but also the great. Typically long, complicated, Bartian sort of sentences. But essentially, Bart is suggesting that there are powers and authorities at work in our world which are clearly above and beyond any human actor or actors, which no one controls, but which shape and determine human events and decisions. Bart points to government or the state or political absolutism as one of these powers. Political rule and political government is one of the good gifts of God in Romans 13. But it becomes the inhuman, power-hungry beast of Revelation 13, ever-growing in power and authority, subjugating individuals and masses to its will and purposes. The human capacity for government and organisation and politics gets away from us and ends up dominating us. Bart adds other lordless forces to this list. He suggests, for example, that the various ideologies or isms of our world come to have a powerful life of their own. And he's talking about things like capitalism or Marxism or socialism or feminism or liberalism or any of the other isms. These ideologies usually are based in some truth. They almost always have some truth to them or based in some human capacity or faculty. 
but they become distorted. They become domineering thought patterns that possess their devotees and require submission. Every thought must be subordinated to the ideological vision and made to fit in with its dictates. And so at this point, who is in charge? Is it the socialist or capitalist who cannot see any interpretation of the world outside of his own and who forces all facts to fit with this paradigm? That's what happens with ideologies. Or is it the ideology itself? Is it socialism or capitalism or whatever it is itself that has become a kind of rogue, absolutist thought spirit that has come to have a domineering life of its own that captures people and enslaves them? It's fascinating, isn't it? But also suggests that things like technology or pleasure or fashion and sport can be named as among these lordless powers of our age. It's not just that we can misuse, for example, the good gift of technology or of clothing or of exercise. It's that these human powers or capacities have come to have an independent existence that ends up ruling over us. Who is it, for example, or what is it exactly that snaps their fingers and makes the world change fashion every year? Who or what is it that pulls these strings such that even the most sensible person among us finds it impossible to be old-fashioned? Or what sort of power or authority is it that captivates millions of people, determining their actions, their desires, their lifestyle, their emotions, all on the basis of whether an arbitrary group of individuals with whom we happen to share a geographical proximity wins a sporting contest. Why does it matter so much to us? We laughingly speak of worshipping at the temple of sport and we talk about how footy is our religion. But the power of sport is real and malign. It's a lordless power that dominates people's lives, that demands their financial and emotional investment an investment of all their time. It promises significance and joy and fulfilment of dreams, but rarely, if ever, delivers. It twists and distorts our view of reality and what's important so that we end up living our lives in the dead space between major sporting events. Sport does seem to have this extraordinary power, a power that's greater than any human and any person and comes to shape and dominate people's lives. It's a lordless power. Now, speaking of these powers like this, which are kind of inhuman, impersonal forces and authorities that shape people's lives in the world, none of it is to dispute the personal nature of the devil as the father of all these lies, but if we do acknowledge the reality and danger of these kind of lordless powers, these impersonal rogue forces and authorities, like mammon and fashion and ideology and sport, then surely we'll be better placed to put on the armour of God and fight them. Surely we'll be better placed to realise the threat that they pose to our spiritual life and to resist with all the tools and weapons that God provides. What do you think? 
Is it possible that sport is one of the cosmic powers of this present darkness? Well, it'd be great to discuss all this further, of course, but I'm running out of time, especially because if I don't finish soon, I'll miss the showdown between Titmus and Ledecky, on the outcome of which, of course, hangs my whole happiness for at least the next half hour. Well, there's my little theological kite, not really only about sport and fashion and technology, but really about the nature of evil in our world, and in a sense the nature of evil spiritual forces and powers and authorities. In our recent history as evangelicals, I guess the two tendencies have been to either dismiss or ignore the reality of evil spiritual forces in our world, or else go down the kind of quasi-Pentecostal deliverance ministry sort of track, which sees evil spiritual demons lurking inside everyone and around every corner, uh, needing to be exorcised and turning the whole spiritual life into a kind of episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And you kind of don't really want to go down that track. It seems unbiblical and unbalanced in more ways than one. But then again, the opposite problem is to kind of ignore the existence of spiritual powers and rulers and authorities. And certainly in the New Testament, they're not ignored. They're there relatively frequently. And I wonder if this way of thinking about the powers of our age, the lordless powers of our age, might be a helpful way of thinking more productively and praying and acting more productively in light of the evil that does exist and that exists outside of us and outside of particular people and which has such an influence in our world. Well, let me know what you think. As always, send me an email at tonyjpayne at me.com or you can go across to the website to the web version of this post and drop a comment there on the web page as well. Always keen to hear your comments and thoughts, especially on this sort of thing where I'm kind of thinking out loud just a little bit. Also, I think I must confess and admit that I've always been a bit sus about people who quote Karl Barth too often. And I find myself having quoted him more than once now over the last few months. Bart certainly has his quirks and problems. And I wouldn't recommend him particularly to read until or unless you've got a certain amount of theological age and experience under your belt, if I can put it like that. He's a tough read. But more than once recently, I have to say, he's pushed me to go back to the Bible and rethink what I'm reading there and to take account of theological connections and patterns that I hadn't noticed. And that's always a plus when someone stimulates you to think that way. Well, that's about it for The Painful Truth for this week. Thanks once again for being here. And feel free, of course, to keep passing the word around about The Painful Truth. You can flick a link from this particular podcast to a friend or a colleague or someone at church and encourage them to have a listen. Please feel free to do that because the whole goal is to speak the truth in love. Not just me speaking it to you at this point, but you sharing and spreading and speaking that truth to others as well. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.